2010, a devastating earthquake um, hit Haiti. Probably, a lot of you guys probably remember that. I mean, it was, it was massive. Um, at the time, I was living in Colorado. I was on my surgical internship, um, being trained to, uh, as a, to do specialty surgery in animals. Um, I'm a veterinarian, for those of you that don't know me. Um, Corey and I lived there. We had Piper, our oldest. She was one year old. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just be bopping around, enjoying life. Um, and then I, uh, we, I remember we were shopping that day. We were walking down the little, the little shopping area, shopping, enjoying, enjoying our time, um, having a great day. And a, a post popped up on Facebook. Um, and it was about the earthquake. And um, it was about Johnny Buckner, our senior leader, was organizing a trip based out of this fellowship and based out of our, based out of our community to take a medical relief trip to Haiti. And this was, I think we were going to be arriving one week after the earthquake, so really soon afterwards. Um, I remember vividly, I still remember this to this day, stopping dead in my tracks and um, reading the post. I stopped and looked at Corey and I said, I have this unexplainable feeling. I've got to go. I've got to go on this trip. I can't explain it. Um, But I felt deep down in my gut that this was from God. God's telling me, stop what you're doing and go. Um, Corey was pregnant. You were pregnant with Sophie at the time. Um, (laughs) We were scraping by. Uh, (laughs) Interns don't make a whole lot of money. Um, We had no money to make the trip happen. I mean, there's a lot of obstacles to overcome. But God, being who he is, provided the funds. Um, I talked to my work. They said, sure, you can go, but we're, we're not going to pay you. But you can go. You can take off. Uh, they liked that. I was like, okay, we'll, we'll figure that out. Lord, we'll figure that out together. Um, but I remember feeling convinced, deep down in my gut, that this was what I was supposed to do. Um, but that conviction was tested. On the plane ride over, I remember sitting there thinking, Lord, what have I gotten myself into Oh, my goodness. There are gangs going crazy in the streets. People were getting killed. Um, there was disease running rampant. And here I am leaving my family back in the States to go over here on this crazy medical mission trip. We don't really know what we're about to get into. And I was starting to feel a little bit of test to my conviction. <laughs> so I prayed, um, listened to some worship music, um, <laughs> And did what I, what I had to do. But I remember coming to the point, once again on that plane ride, I was fully convinced God had called me to do something. And I was co- fully convinced that I had to go do it. And I knew he was going to provide. So fast forward to 2013. Um, we had left Colorado, and we were now living in northwest Arkansas. So still haven't made it back to here yet. Uh, lived in a, f- a fantastic community. Wonderful church thriving community. We were part of a a great network of friends, living with my mom and dad in the area. I mean, just great stuff was happening. Um, Awesome culture, good food, blah, 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 blah. It's just, you know, good life. And um, I remember another phone call from Johnny Buckner asking me to come back, consider coming back to Starville to be a part of this fellowship. It's like, Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll consider it. I'll pray about it and all that kind of stuff. Hung up, <laughs> convinced that's what I was supposed to do right then and there. <laughs> it's crazy. But I was convinced. I was convinced I was supposed to come back, leave all that stuff behind and come. Um, 
I remember processing it through with my work, talking with my family, um, telling my work, hey, guys, I'm going to be leaving in a couple months. I, I don't know. I'm going to get a job, I'm sure, but I don't have a job yet. But I think I'm supposed to be leaving, so get ready because I'm gone. Um, so I started the process of applying for a job, found a, a job at the school that I thought would be perfect, came down to interview, got the phone call. I didn't get the job. It's like, hmm. I thought I was convinced I was supposed to be coming down here, but I don't have a job to come down here and uh, su- support my family and, and take care of that. And, um, but I was convinced, I, I thought I was convinced that God was calling me to do this. So there for a couple weeks, I had no clue what was happening. I remember praying and thinking, and um, I didn't really listen to worship music this time, but I remember praying a lot and processing a lot and try, you know, trying to figure out, God, what are you, what are you, what are you saying in all this? Uh, my convictions were tested. Um, fast forward a couple weeks, and I get a phone call out of the blue. Um, it's, it's my current coworker who leads our program, and she said, hey, I'm so sorry you didn't get that job. I know you really wanted it. Um, but I think I have something for you that you're going to like even better. And um, I got the job that I'm in now, out of the blue. Didn't even apply for it. Um, didn't have to interview for it. She called me and offered me the job, just out of the blue. It's crazy. So God provided... Um, and once again, I felt fully convinced that, you know, I'm on the path. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I remember him giving me very specific things for when I got here um, that I was supposed to be about, uh, people I was supposed to pour into. Um, I, I just remember getting very specific things for why we were supposed to be coming back to Starkville. And we've seen a lot of those things happen. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal how he's been um, faithful to the convictions that he's given me. When were you fully convinced of something God said? Maybe something God's given you from Scripture. Maybe something God whispered to you in a dream. Maybe something God said to you through a friend or a brother or sister in Christ. Maybe something that God said was supposed to happen or supposed to come to pass. When were you last fully convinced by one of God's promises? Did it come to fruition? Are you still waiting on those things? So now that we're all thinking a little more deeply about this word, fully convinced, I want to help bring a little bit more fullness to that phrase. I want to walk you through a journey that, um, that I took in discovering this phrase and uh, what it meant, and um, here's what we're going to look at. We'll look at the word fully convinced from a scriptural standpoint. I want to look at how that's used in scripture. And then we'll take a quick look at the Greek word behind the phrase fully convinced. And using that word study, um, we'll see three ways. I want to share with you three ways how we can live as Christians, live a fully convinced life. And why that even matters. Why do we even need to do that? And then we'll talk a little bit of how we're going to apply these things to our lives. So I want to start, um, if you would, open up your Bibles, your apps um, to Romans 4. 418 through 21, and we're going to look at three different ways that this, this phrase, fully convinced, is used in Scripture. And uh, we're going to look at Paul's writings in Romans and Colossians. It'll, it'll help us start to bring some fullness to this. So Romans 4, 18 through 21. He believed, and he is Abraham, Abraham believed, hoping against hope so that he became the father of many nations, according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. 
He considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old and also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb without weakening in the faith. Verse 20, this is where it really starts to hit home. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promises, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what he, God, had promised he, God, was able to perform. This speaks to the convictions that God is able to perform what he promises. And Abraham is a model for this. Abraham was able to consider the realities of the natural world around him, particularly how stinking old he was. He was like 100 years old. And the apparent deadness of his wife's womb. But he considered these realities in the natural world without weakening in faith. He actually went the opposite direction. He was strengthened in his faith, and he gave glory to God. Wow. When looking at the impossible, wouldn't you like to be strengthened in your faith and not weakened? Instead of shrieking away and wavering in unbelief, how was Abraham able to do this? How can we do this? It's because Abraham was fully convinced, fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to perform. And we'll dive into that a little bit more a little bit later. But for now, let's go to Romans 14, 1 through 6, and look at another way in which this phrase was used. So Romans 14, a couple pages ahead, 1 through 6. And for those of you that are reading along in your Bible, your app, I, right now I'm using the Holman Christian Standard Bible, okay? That's the version we're reading out of. So Romans 14, 1. Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about doubtful issues. One person believes he may eat anything, but one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. And one who does not eat must not criticize one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to criticize another household slave? Before his own Lord he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person considers one day above another day. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord. Back up. Whoever observes the day, observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, is for the Lord that he does not eat. Yet he thanks God. So this speaks to the convictions of the mind and a little more deeply, the motives of the heart. Whatever we do, we're doing it for the honor of the Lord. And we must be fully convinced in our own mind about this. I think a whole sermon could probably be preached on this and how we interact as Christians and how we're not to criticize each other and um, how everyone's equal at the foot of the cross. But for now, consider this. Paul didn't say that we should throw away our convictions. He said, we must be fully convinced, yet do not argue or criticize. So hopefully you're thinking, well, how, how do we do that? Well, we'll get there. <laughs> All right, one more passage. Colossians 4, 11 and 12. Colossians 4, 11 and 12. Again, Paul. And we'll start about halfway through 11. My co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. 
He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God's wills. In everything God wills, stand fully assured. That's another way to translate fully convinced. So fully assured. Epaphras wrestled in prayer for believers to stand mature and to stand fully assured or fully convinced in everything God wills. Okay, so after reading these passages, it was clear to me, hopefully it's becoming clear to you, that this phrase is important, fully convinced. I think it's an important phrase. We need to live with full conviction. We need to walk out our life with full conviction. We need to know what fully convinced means, and knowing what it means, we will know how to live it out. And I want to help us figure this out, okay? So I studied. In studying this phrase, a Greek word helped me to deepen my understanding call out some flakiness in me and embolden my spiritual convictions. So yeah, a Greek word can do that. (laughs) Thanks, Tim. (laughs) Okay, hang with me, okay? The Greek word, pleiroforeo. In the previous passages we just read, this word, pleiroforeo, was translated to the words fully convinced and fully assured. There's a few other passages in the Bible where, um, and a few other translations where it's used to say fully persuaded. Now, when you look at the Greek word, plore phoreo, or plora phoreo, we find that it originates from two separate Greek words, pleres and phoreo. Pleres meaning full, phoreo meaning to bring or to wear or to bear. So what I want to take us through just in the next five or ten minutes, just want to fly through a couple of scriptures where these different words are used, okay? Hang with me, because I think it's going to help us bring some significant fullness to the word fully convinced. And it's going to make sense once we look at how we live this out, okay? So um, I will have the scripture up here. If, if you want to keep up with your, with your Bible, do it. But I'm going to have all the scriptures up here, okay? So the first, the first breakdown we're going to look at is pleres. It's an adjective, and it means full. Very simply, it means full. And so we're going to look at three, three scriptures where this is used, okay, where pleres is used. The first one is Matthew 14, 19 through 21. It's talking about uh, where Jesus took the fish and the loaves, broke them, and, fre- and fed 5,000. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone ate and was filled. Then they picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. Now, those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. So this is a, a, a time where we see pleres, meaning full. And I think, this is kind of my little take on it, almost spilling over. Like the baskets were so full, they were full to the brim, like they were spilling over. Okay, the next passage, Mark 4:28. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. New American Standard translate pleris here. Instead of using full, uh, this translation says the mature grain of ear. So now we see pleris being used a little bit different way. Full or mature like a mature grain of corn. It's full. It's mature. And then the last one. Oh, sorry, two more. Luke 5, 12. 
While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So he was full of leprosy. Again, New American Standard. There was a man covered with leprosy, completely covered. He was full of it. He was covered by it. And then the last one, which I think is a fantastic way and a fantastic scripture. Luke 4.1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. So we see this word used four different times. In Matthew, we see the word full being used to convey baskets, being full to the brim, almost as if they're about to spill over. At Mark, we see the word being used in agricultural terms, watching a plant grow from a seed to bearing full grain. And I think the word that captures it best, mature. In Luke 5, we see a man who had leprosy. He was full of leprosy. He was covered with it from head to toe. And, and finally, in Luke 4, we see the ultimate use, in my opinion, of the word, Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was thoroughly permeated with or full of the Holy Spirit. So full, mature, covered, thoroughly permeated with. So keep those in mind, okay? All right, let's move on to the second half of that Greek word that underpins fully convinced. It's phoreo. It's a verb. It's an action. To bring, to wear, or to carry or bear is what that means, okay? So let's look at that used in three different instances in the New Testament. The first one we'll look at, Matthew eleven seven through 8. This gives us kind of a basic understanding of what phoreo means. Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. So there's the basic understanding of the word, to wear, like wearing clothes. Okay? So we'll move to the next one, John 19.5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Wearing. This takes the understanding a little deeper. Wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, he continued to wear it for quite some time. So it's this continual thing. He's continually wearing something. Okay? All right, and then the last one. 1 Corinthians 14, 46 through 49. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So in Matthew, we see the word phoreo being used to convey wearing clothes. In John, we see the word denoting Jesus as wearing the crown of thorns. Wearing conveys that he was doing this in a continual way. That's important. Continual way, like in bearing a burden. And now we see the ultimate use, in my opinion, of the word in 1 Corinthians. Continually bearing the image of the man of heaven. Bearing the image of Jesus as a habit, implying repetition and frequency. So here's what it all comes down to. Here's how we live a fully convinced life and why it even matters. Looking at all the nuanced ways of how the Greek words were used and the origins of the word fully convinced are used in Scripture, I want to offer you three things. Here's where we start getting practical. In order to be fully convinced, you have to fully believe. 
You must believe in the foundations of our faith. You must be mature in your understanding of the things of God. And in the good news of the gospel, God is good. Do you believe that? God is good. He's a good father. That's so foundational to how we live and how we fully believe in God and how we can live fully convinced. God is good, and what he has promised to do, he is able to perform. What a foundational truth. When looking back at the passage, we read about Abraham being fully convinced of these truths. He looked at the natural world. He looked at the deadness of his wife's womb. But God... He believed God is good. He believed what God promised he is able to do. He fully believed. We must fully believe in the deity of Jesus, his sinless life, his miracles, and his finished work. This is foundational to our beliefs as a church, and I believe foundational foundational to us as Christians. His finished work, that is his death on the cross, his resurrection to full life, his sitting at the right hand of God and in his personal return in power and glory one future day. That should give us hope. That should help us fully believe. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. These are the foundations of what it means to be fully convinced, to fully believe. But it can't stop there, okay? can't stop right here in believing with our heads. So I'll offer you the second thing. In order to walk fully convinced, you have to fully carry, fully carry. God, by his infinite grace, mercy, and power to those who believe in Christ Jesus, fills you with his spirit. Jesus was our model for this. Okay, we read this passage in Luke 4.1, as he was full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Spirit. We have to fully carry everything that God has for us, which is His Holy Spirit. Did you know, or do you believe, that God wants to bring you to your maximum potential? God wants you, He wants us to fully carry through with what He promised us in the Holy Spirit. He's promised us things in the Holy Spirit. God, through His power, wants to bring you to your maximum potential matching your true knowledge of him. This is what I was saying. It can't stop hearing what you believe, okay? In order to, to be at our maximum potential, it's got to go here. It's got to go from the head to the heart. So this knowledge has got to move from your brain to your innermost being. And it's a spiritual process. Again, we read this in Scripture. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual process, We must be full of the Holy Spirit, fully carrying the Spirit in order to be fully convinced. In order to live fully convinced, you have to fully wear. The final definition, I think, of fully convinced means to bear or wear the work of God to the fullest extent. What does that mean? Another way of saying it. Wearing the work of God to the full capacity of the one who fully believes in Jesus and fully carries the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. That's a lot of words. Another way of saying it. Wearing the work of God to the full capacity of the one who fully believes in Jesus and fully carries the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? 
Bearing the work of God means you are wearing the image of Jesus. Practically speaking, you look like him. You look like Jesus. You have to fully wear. You have to look like Jesus. When your brothers and sisters in Christ see you, they see Jesus. When your coworkers see you, they see Jesus. When your family sees you, they see Jesus. When your classmates see you, they see Jesus. When your accusers see you, this is the harder one, they see Jesus. When the jailer sees you, they see Jesus. When the executioner sees you, they see Jesus. So in order to live fully convinced, we have to fully believe, fully carry, and fully wear. All right, here's a tweetable quote for those of you that tweet. If you carry full, you can fully carry out. If you carry full, you can fully carry out. In order to fully carry out the work of God, what he's calling you to do, what you are convinced that God has called you to do, you have to carry full the Holy Spirit and fully carry the image of Jesus. In order to fully carry out the work of God, you have to carry full the Holy Spirit and fully carry the image of Jesus. I like being fully convinced right here. I'm a teacher. I like head knowledge. It's very important to me. It can't stop there, though. Okay? It can't just stop in my head. It can't stop where having the head knowledge and brain power can convince myself of the deep things of God. No, we can't do that. It has to go to the heart. It has to go to the inner man. It has to go to the realm of the kingdom of God, past flesh and blood, where Jesus is reigning, where Jesus is ruling. I have to fully carry the Holy Spirit. I have to fully wear the work of God, and that is to look like Jesus. So what happens when we as believers aren't, we are not fully believing, fully caring, and fully wearing? What happens when we don't look like that? What happens when we aren't doing that? I think you get a chameleon Christian. So chameleons, I think they're incredible animals. They're incredible reptiles. I think they're super cool. But depending on the situation at hand, what does a chameleon do? A chameleon changes. It shifts to different colors and shades of colors to fit in in any situation. When they're scared, they'll darken their colors. When they're excited, they'll lighten their colors. This is interesting. They'll change colors for self-expression. <laughs> is that a word for us in this day and age? So when their moods change, they'll cycle through colors. They don't know what color they want to be. They'll just start cycling through colors when their moods change. Are we called to fit in? Mm. God has called us as believers to stand out, to be set apart, and to not necessarily fit in. God has called us to live fully convinced. Chameleon Christians end up being flaky. So what does that mean? Chameleon Christians flake out when hardships come, when they don't have that full conviction, 
when persecution, accusations, hunger, death, disease, imprisonment, you name it. When these things hit, when their convictions are tested, they flake out. They flake out when relationships are tested. So when someone behaves differently than them or when someone believes differently than them, based on some deep conviction of their own held beliefs, they flake out. So when thinking back to what Paul said in Romans 14, where Christians were arguing over what to eat and what days are more important than others and this and that, um, guys, he didn't say to lay down our convictions. He didn't say to fit into the situation. He said live with full conviction, knowing in your heart what you fully believe, but not ostracize the other believer, to not criticize, to not argue But chameleon Christians, instead of loving those people, they ostracize and criticize. Guys, I'm tired of this type of chameleon Christianity. Are you? Has God called us to that? No, he has not called us to that. So here's what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying for you to be unrelatable to the culture around you. Not what I'm saying. The world does not need a bunch of Christians who merely know a lot about the Bible. Okay, I'm a teacher. I think it's important to know a lot about the Bible. But I'm not saying that Christians need that. I'm not saying the world needs Christians who merely know a lot about the Bible. I'm saying that when others see you at your maximum potential, fully convinced of your beliefs, knowing the Bible, and fully carrying the Holy Spirit, and fully wearing the image of Jesus, atmospheres around us are going to change. Lives around you are going to change. Cultures around you are going to shift. Okay? Is this making sense? I'm not saying to give up your convictions or water down your convictions. When relationships are tested and Christians disagree over non-foundational matters, no. Paul urged believers to be fully convinced. I've already said this, but it's so important. Fully convinced, honoring God with how you walk out your convictions without criticizing your brothers and sisters who think and behave differently than you do. In their convictions, they honor the Lord. And in your convictions, you honor the Lord. Bear the work of God, which is the image of Christ in your life. Your life needs to look like Jesus with other believers, with non-believers. Your relationships and our relationships, your relationships, how we interact with each other, must look like Jesus. Are you fully convinced? Do you believe God is good? Do you believe that what he has promised to do, he's able to perform? Do you believe in the foundations of our faith? Are you fully carrying everything Holy Spirit has for you? And are you fully wearing the finished work of God? That is, do you look like Jesus? So that's the application. And so I think uh, we need to move to making this a little more practical and applicable and responding. So here's here's how we're going to do it. My brother Tim is going to make his way up here, and he's going to lead us in communion. 
And he's going to challenge you. He's going to challenge us, and I'm challenging us, to respond in full conviction of who God says you are, what he has done for you, and what he has in store for you.